First from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9, and then Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. So first from the book of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And then from Hebrews uh, 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the word of God. Good morning. Good morning. Who here has ever stared at the sun? Anyone? All of us have tried and failed. I remember as a kid trying to stare at the sun as long as possible and squinting and, and not looking away, but after a little while, you realize you really can't stare at the sun for too long. And, you, you know, you start, your eyes become tired, and when you look away, you have these black spots and dots. And in high school, I did this, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but, um, you know, you get the news, right, saying that there's going to be an eclipse and how you're not supposed to look up into the sun because if you looked at the sun during an eclipse, you'll go blind. Well, you know, being a teenager who doesn't listen to facts, uh, I did. I stared up at the sun, right, and, and trying to show off, I think, to some person. Anyways, and, and I, anyway, so I looked into it a little bit and learned that you shouldn't stare into the sun whether or not there is an eclipse and that you could have permanent eye damage uh, from that. But the amazing thing about the sun is that the sun is one of the single most important source of energy needed for life on earth. Did you know that the sun's diameter is about 1.39 million kilometers, or 109 times the size of Earth? Its mass is about 330,000 times that of Earth, and it accounts to for about 99% of the total mass of the solar system. So very big. And as I was researching the sun, I went down the internet rabbit hole about the sun, and, and I thought, oh, can, can we create the sun? Can we replicate the sun? Because, you know, the sun has so much power. What if we could just replicate and make the sun? Then we could harness all that power. And so I did some, some research, and, and as a layperson, I could only understand so much, right, before all the science stuff that's like, okay, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I got lost. I got overwhelmed by it. But in theory we could create 
a mini sun, but we just can't contain it, nor can we actually do it. So it is still beyond our understanding as, as human beings, and you could say it's a mystery. We know how it works. We get a sense of how it works, but we still truly don't understand the ins and outs of it all, nor do we need to. Humanity can't create the sun, and it's still a mystery that needs to be solved. And our series for the next six week, weeks is called Awestruck. We're looking at the mysteries of the faith, of our faith, and God himself, and who, who we believe to be a mystery. God who is unfathomable, unknowable, who is so much more higher and powerful than we are. This God who is present outside of time, who knows all things and created all things out of nothing. This is the God we will try to examine in the next six weeks. Pretty easy, right? But one of the nuances that I want us to uh, look at is that this kind of mystery that we're talking about isn't what normally we think about in mystery. When we think about mystery, we think about solving a problem or a riddle or gain, gaining enough information so that we understand it and then it stops being a mystery. But that's not the kind of mystery that the Bible talks about, nor does the Bible talk about when it talks about mystery, is that kind of mystery. The, the mystery that the Bible talks about is revealed mystery. It's a mystery that's been re revealed by God to us, that as we come to know more about this mystery about God, we don't lose the sense of mystery because we figured it all out, but we stay in the place of mystery that leaves us with awe, with wonder, and astonishment. In the book, uh, Princess, Princess, Prince Caspian, Lucy meets Aslan as a young child, and later on, while searching for Aslan for a very long time, she finally finds him again. Aslan, she finally finds and meets him, uh, and Aslan has grown so much bigger than what Lucy remembers Aslan to be. And this is what she says. She says, Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. The more Lucy grows, the bigger Aslan gets. The more we know God or claim to know God, the more God grows. The more we think we know God, the more we realize how much more we don't know about God. One word of warning for us is that if we ever feel as though we've arrived, that we figured God out, it's a warning sign that we may have missed out on God. It is a sign that we put God in a box that we can understand for ourselves. And perhaps we ourselves have not grown, but rather have shrunken God to fit into our understanding. So with that, kind of understanding a mystery, I want us to examine what Jesus says about himself, what the early writers of the Bible said about Jesus, and what the church for 2,000 years have believed about this person of Jesus. And that is, Jesus is God. Jesus is God in flesh. Or as one author, Rachel Held uh, Evans puts it, Jesus is God in sandals. Or at Spring Garden, we would say, Jesus is God in Birkenstocks. 
We all got one of those here. So Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The sun, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. Saul was a man who was born in Tarsus and grew up as a Pharisee. He was trained by one of the best Pharisees of his generation and himself was a prodigy of sorts. He was passionate about climbing the Judaism ladder and zealous about living out what it meant for him to be a Jew. And in the story of Acts, we see Saul on his way to Damascus with the authority of the high priest to arrest and put into jail any men or women who followed Jesus. And while on his way to arrest Christians, Saul, who we know as Paul now, is met by Jesus, this radiance of God's glory. Acts 9.3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. We see in this story, a light from heaven flashed around him. It caused, it caused Saul to fall to the ground uh, in reverence or in fear, asking who this person was. We know in the story that Saul meets Jesus, who here is so radiant that Saul is blind, blinded by the light. And in those days, much like now, the faithful Jews would practice meditating on Scripture, what we sometimes call as Lexio Divina or imaginative prayer, where they would read a, a, a section of the Bible and take their times reading it very slowly, meditating on it, putting their, themselves into the story and hearing what God would say to them. And it was, there was a very popular passage during that time that uh, was from the first chapter of Ezekiel. And let me read you a section from that chapter, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1. Seated above what looked like a throne was something that seemed like a human form. Upwards from what, I, what appeared to be the waist, I saw something like gleaming amber. Something that looked like fire enclosed all around. Downwards from what appeared to be the waist, I saw something that looked like fire. There was wonderful light all around, like the bow in a cloud in a rainy day. Such was the appearance of the wonderful light all around. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And quite possibly, Saul, being a very devout Jew, was meditating on this very passage when Jesus showed up and Saul was blinded by this wonderful light, by the glory of Yahweh, who was Jesus. That would be so poetic, right? It would, it would make sense. And if you know, like we talked about, if you look into the sun for too long, you can go blind. The sun with all of its radiance and life-giving ways, the sun that produces light so that we can see the world around us is also the thing that can blind us. In a similar way, we see Saul here being blinded by the light of the world who he was unknowingly going against. The sun, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the exact representation of his being. Jesus is fully God and fully human. 
In John chapter 1, the Apostle John writes that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word, referring to Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. John also writes in the same chapter that Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. How is this possible? This world that this word that existed before time, that was there before creation and created all things, how can an infinite God reside in a finite being? How can this being still be fully God and fully human? C.S. Lewis argues that the greater the being or the, the being with the, that has more power, the more power this being has, the more its ability to enter into the thing that is lesser than it. So, for example, solid bodies, like our human bodies, show truths about geometry, like circles and, and, and shapes. But circles and shapes cannot speak about the body in terms of organs or the brain or thought. Or another example is where a human being can become kitten-like to play with cats, but the cat cannot talk philosophy with the human. In the same way, God descends from the higher plane as a human being to reveal to us about the divine God, but only in as much as we can understand God. But because we are made in the image of God and reflect God, Therefore, God has created us with the ability to understand God to a point. Listen to what Lewis writes about this coming down of Jesus. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, if embryologists are right, to, recapit to recapitulate in the womb ancient and pre-human phases of life down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he had created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. God descends as a human being and enters into the very depths of life. He enters not only into the very essence of humanity, but experiences death, not just any death, but death on the cross, so that as he rises again, he can bring the whole world up with him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And this understanding of Jesus as God is one of the mysteries of our faith, Jesus, the pre-existent one that sustains all things, comes down from a higher plane of existence in order to relate, to communicate, and to even embrace all things so that all things may be saved. And Saul had also experienced this radiant light, God in sandals in Jesus Christ. His experience of this brilliant light literally blinded him. In the story, Saul was blind for three days, not eating or drinking anything, contemplating maybe on that exact same Ezekiel passage and praying, but now with new eyes, about the experience that he just had. 
Ironically, Saul sees in a vision while he is blind that a man named Ananias will come and pray for him and restore his sight. And let's look at what Ananias says to Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The very encounter with Jesus, who is the light of the world, blinded Saul to perhaps reflect his blindness to the reality that Jesus was the Messiah. Saul, who from a very young age studied the scriptures and knew more about God than anyone else around him, was blinded to the reality that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the Messiah that the scriptures had been talking about for a long time. He needed to experience the very presence of Jesus who entered into Paul's or Saul's experience. And so now he is able to truly see that Jesus of Nazareth was God. For Saul, his experience of Jesus as God not only physically affected him, but also affected his whole being. His whole worldview has shifted, had transformed from where Jesus and his bandits were Uh, were not some offshoot branch of Judaism that needed to be quashed, but rather this Jesus of Nazareth was the very God in all of his brilliant radiance, the very being that Saul sought out his whole life was now present in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. Do you believe that Jesus is God in Birkenstocks? Let's just think about it for a moment. In the history of humanity, for that matter, all of creation, whether you believe in the billions of years it took or the thousands of years years it took, God became a person in one moment in history. And he became a person in the person of Jesus, who was born in Nazareth, who the secular history books would also agree that there was a man named Jesus who was born from a mother named Mary in a small town of Nazareth and was crucified by Pontius Pilate. The history books do not deny this. Where people disagree on is whether this man was just a man, albeit a good man with a lot of good teachings, or if he was actually God in flesh. Christians have held this belief that Jesus is God in human flesh. He's not just a good moral teacher, but God. And if this is true, then really nothing else matters. Or actually, everything matters. Everything in the world will matter in light of this being who is now in human form. This God of the universe who created everything that we can't even fathom has now entered in a moment of history in this person of Jesus. If that is actually true, then that's what matters. That's what I need to see. That's who I need to come and be around. And this is one of the key mysteries of our faith. Jesus is God. And again, C.S. Lewis has a great analogy for us of understanding uh, the mysteries of God. He says, we believe that the sun in the sky at midday in summer, we believe in it. Not because we can clearly see the sun, In fact, we cannot, but because we can see everything else. 
Though we, can directly, we cannot directly look into the sun for too long, the sun makes everything around us more visible. Without the sun, everything loses its color. And in speaking about this mystery of God, Stephen Boyer and Christopher Hall, they wrote a book called The Mysteries of God. And this is what he, they say. Now in every corner of Christian history, we find faithful Christians insisting that what the sun is to our eyes, God is to our reason. And I would say our whole being. The living God is too bright for our minds to see. He dazzles us and we are overcome. Does, does this make God irrational or unintelligible? Perhaps so, but only in the sense that the sun is invisible. If we say that the sun is invisible, we mean not that it is unavailable to our vision, but that it overpowers our vision. Not that it cannot be seen, but that it cannot steadfastly be looked at. Jesus is the light of the world. The sun is less than the Son of God. The sun shines and gives us light, is the source of energy for our world, but it pales in comparison to the Son of God that shines light on us and is the very being through whom all of creation is held together. Nothing is too low for him, too evil for him, too hard or dark for him. Jesus, the radiant sun, enters into the darkest places of our world and our lives and lifts it up, gives it light, and is the true source of our lives in the here and now, but also the eternal. As I mentioned in the beginning, our series is called Awestruck. This series is an invitation for us to enter into our mysterious God we turn to him not to solve a riddle, but we turn to him as a way to be drawn into the very being who makes everything more visible, more clear, and more real. I invite you to stare into the radiant sun, Jesus, God in sandals, so that we can truly start to see everything around us and even ourselves more clearly. I invite you to the God of mystery, because the only right response to this God in Jesus is that we are awestruck. We stand in wonder and we respond in worship. Let's pray. Seated above what looked like a throne was something that seemed like a human form. Upwards from what appeared to be the waist, I saw something like gleaming amber, something that looked like fire enclosed all around. Downwards from what appeared to be the waist, I saw something that looked like fire. There was wonderful light all around, like the bow in a cloud and a rainy day. Such was the appearance of the wonderful light all around. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. Amen.